Okay, do it this way today, the old-fashioned way. So I was just going to say, I don't know about you, but as Lisa was making her way up in that T-Rex costume, I was a little concerned about her making it to the top. I thought she might fall backwards, but she did it. She did fantastic. So, Well, um, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. Um, You might recognize the name. Uh, He's written a lot of uh, fiction books, like the Chronicles of Narnia, most famously uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, But he's also written a lot of books that are nonfiction that deal with matters of the faith and how we live out that life in Christ, like mere Christianity, kind of apologetics for why we have reason to believe in in the rationality and the truth uh, and the trustworthiness of the scriptures and of following Jesus. Uh, A number of books like that. Uh, But he's also, as you probably might know, was an atheist in his former life uh, as a professor at at Oxford University in, in England. Uh, he, in fact, put himself, described himself this way, the, as the most ejected and reluctant convert in all of England. In 1958, a scholar published an article called A Critique of C.S. Lewis. And among his criticisms in the article was this accusation that C.S. Lewis uh, did not care for or care much for the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Lewis responded this way, quote, As to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. I mean, who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with with tranquil pleasure. You know, today we're continuing uh, the sermon series we kicked off a few weeks back called The Way of Jesus. And we're working our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and, and, and 7. And, and so far we've seen that the Sermon on the Mount is, is very powerful, uh, very convicting, uh, very challenging in some of the things that Jesus says. And, and in a sense, I can relate to, to what C.S. Lewis says. It's like being almost hit in the face, hit over the head with a, with a bat by some of the things that he says. It sets this incredibly high standard and says things like, um, if um, it's not just enough not to murder, but if you have anger or rage or hatred or resentment or, envious, or you're envious of somebody, you've committed murder. Or, or things like, you know, it's, it's not just not enough not to commit adultery, but if you look at another person with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Uh, th- those, are, those are really difficult things to hear and, and even more difficult things for us to, to, to live out. So I can relate to, to what C.S. Lewis says, that it's like being knocked flat by a, by a sledgehammer. I've been reading through, I'm very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. I've read through it many, many times over the years. And it, it, every time it kind of hits me the, the same way, just really convicting, just really cuts to the heart of, 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 of my life. And so what we're going to be doing today um, is, 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 is looking at how Jesus uh, then again challenges us in three areas. Last week, we, we asked the question, what does it look like? to honor and please God with our lives in the, and walk in the way of Jesus. Not just in our actions, not just in our, but also in our motives and our, and our values. Because as we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, as we have seen and will continue to see, is Jesus is not interested at all or impressed at all when our lives are shiny and neat and polished and everything looks good on the outside. But yet on the inside, we struggle with anger and rage and 
enviousness and, and lust and all these different things. God wants us, Jesus tells us. God the Father wants us, he tells us to the Sermon on the Mount, for our insides and our outsides to match. That we would increasingly be people of, of integrity, where there's no discrepancy between what we say, what we do, what we think, what we feel. To obey from the heart so that we are not only acting rightly, but thinking and loving rightly as well. So last week, if you were here with us, Jesus looked at three case studies. And we asked the question, what does the way of Jesus look like in these three areas of life? He, we looked at uh, Jesus' words uh, about murder and anger. And it says, and, and, and Jesus told us that, that loving people from the heart, instead of being angry and, and resentful toward them, is, is the way of Jesus. And then we looked at the area of, of, of lust and adultery, and Jesus told us that, that treating others as brothers and sisters in Christ, not as sexual objects who gratify our lusts, is the way of Jesus. And then we saw that Jesus told us that as married people, we are to take our vows seriously and refuse to just casually discard marriage when it gets hard or difficult or inconvenient. But Jesus is not done yet. He now presses into three other areas. And, and, and he gives us three more practical examples of what, what it looks like in our relationships using three topics. Keeping our words, keeping our word, keeping our promises, getting even or not, and dealing with our enemies. So let's pick it up uh, in uh, verse 33 in the first example. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black or white. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So again, we see, as we saw last week, that Jesus follows a, a threefold pattern in these case studies, these examples. First, he'll say, you have heard it said. Then he'll say, but I tell you. And then he'll give you an example. So three, that's his threefold approach every time with these areas. So what does he do here? He says, you have heard said, don't break any vow that you make. And that's a pretty good summary of the Old Testament teaching on, on keeping our oaths, of, of keeping our promises. Jesus says, don't take an oath at all. Now, what's he saying here? Because we make wedding vows. We make promises. Um, we make commitments. God himself makes an oath in the, in the covenant he makes with his people. Jesus makes an oath, promises to his people. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's speaking in, in hyperbole. The real issue, he says, is, is the issue of trying to get out of our vows based on semantics or, or technicalities or, or inconveniences or what we want. You might be, when you're a kid, you might say, well, I had my fingers crossed when I said that. As we get older, it might change, become a little bit more subtle or, or, or polished. It might be, well, yeah, at the time when I made that promise, I didn't realize or I didn't think or things have changed. Jesus says in real life, 
that we should be so trustworthy that anything we say can be taken at face value. He says anything beyond that is, is, is evil, is sin. He says just say yes, just say no. Live by the truth of what you say and stand by your words. Now again, Jesus wants our, our heart to match our actions. He wants us to be whole. No discrepancy between what we intend to do and what we say. He wants honesty, in other words, from his people. You know, imagine a world in which you didn't have to place your hand on, on, on the Bible to swear to tell the truth because your words were so trustworthy. You know, much of our world is becoming increasingly you know, cynical. And, and it's kind of understandable at times because we see a lot of hypocrisy from our, some of our leaders, sometimes in the church, sometimes in government, schools, different business, Wall Street. Uh, we see some hypocrisy in institutions. And, 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 and I can understand why people would start to become a little cynical and, and not place their trust in anyone or anything. But I believe the world is, is hungry for integrity. But the world is looking for something or someone in which to believe, something or someone that can be trusted. People who say what they mean and follow through. People whose yeses are yeses and their noes are noes. We are called to be people of the truth whose word can be trusted even when it's, even when it's not convenient and even when it, when, it tr- when it costs us something. If you say, I'll be there tonight, I'll talk through this with you, I'll listen, I'll help you with this, and then be there. If you say, I'm going to be praying for you, then, then pray. So in this first area, if you want to walk in the way of Jesus, Jesus says, keep your word, be trustworthy. Next example, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So there's the threefold pattern again. Jesus says, what you've heard said is that you can retaliate eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. The, the, and, and that retaliation should be limited to the extent of the original offense. The punishment should fit the crime. So if somebody bumps you, don't respond with a, with a punch. If, if somebody slaps you, don't, don't knock them out. And that's an accurate summary of what the law says in a number of places, in Exodus, and Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But Jesus says, I tell you, and then he seems to contradict what the law is saying, but he isn't. Jesus was revealing the true heart of the commandments, not to demand that we retaliate, but to limit, not to escalate or retaliate, but to de-escalate. That we refuse to take justice into our own hands. To let God, the righteous judge, look after things for you. To not seek to get even. That's a hard one to, to hear. 
And then Jesus gives us examples in real life, the third part of his three-part approach. He gives us four very practical and surprising examples. The most famous one is if somebody hits you on their right cheek, let them hit you on your left. Which if you think about it, if you get hit on your right cheek, you go like this. Or if somebody hits you on the left, they have to backhand you. And in that culture, that would be a sign of true contempt. You would be shamed by that. If someone sues you for your inner clothing, your shirt, give them your more valuable clothing as well. Because in that day, by law, you could not take somebody's cloak. You could take everything else, but they needed at least a cloak to protect themselves from the elements. So give it up, even if you don't have to. And then he says, if, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. What he's talking about there are the Roman soldiers in the day. Remember, they're occupied by Rome. The Roman soldiers could, by law, ask somebody on the side of the road, hey, take my armor, take my bag, take my sword, carry it for me for a mile. And you had to do it by law. But Jesus says, go farther, do it for two miles. So think about some of the ways this might apply today. If somebody insults you, say something nice back. If your boss gives you too much work to do, do you more than he or she gives you. If somebody borrows money from you and promises to pay it back and ask you for more, give it to them. See the pattern here? Jesus is telling us that we are to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of others, even when they don't deserve it. Instead of demanding our rights and seeking justice for ourselves, Jesus says, leave justice to God, lay down your rights for others, even when you could fight for your own rights. Don't retaliate. Seek the good of those who harm you. That sledgehammer is getting heavy, isn't it? Next section, next example. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Again, the threefold approach. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, you can find all over the Old Testament, love your enemy. Do this for them. Do that for them. Do this for the people in your midst. Do this for the alien. Do this for on and on and on. Where They're called to love the people around them. But the command to hate your enemy is not in the Old Testament. So what's going on? You remember that Israel, again, they're living under Roman occupation. And it seems, that, it seems to imply that some of the teachers were, were telling people that, um, that they should hate the Romans because of what they were doing to them by, by, by depriving them of their freedom and, and abusing them and on and on and on and overtaxing them and it, it twist scripture into, into something that's almost a, you know, a, a rebellion, a patriotic duty. But Jesus says... The whole point of the law is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the reason he gives us for this challenging command is that God himself is gracious to us, to everyone, and it's required of those of us who presume to go the way of Jesus. 
what it looks like in real life. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is very clear. If we just love those who love us, we're no different than the people who don't claim the name of Jesus. He calls us to to love without limits. Now, this sounds almost hopelessly unrealistic. Is this really possible? Is this fair to expect this of us? Or is it just, you know, naive? Actually, I think it's the only hope the world has. I mean, if everybody acted like this, that's a world I'd want to live in. The problem is, of course, that it looks impossible. And and we're right, because nobody could ever meet this standard. Nobody could ever keep their word no matter what, bless rather than retaliate in every circumstance, and love their enemies and pray for them at all times. Nobody could ever love this way. Nobody could ever live this way. Except Jesus did. Let's finish up verse 48. Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what are we supposed to do with that one? We can't be perfect. That's the point of the gospel. That's why Jesus came to die for us. Is he being contradictory here with himself? I think it's helpful to see something similar to what Jesus says in Luke 6.36. It's the same sort of formula where Jesus says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, nobody can be as merciful as God. What is Jesus doing? He's telling us to live in such a way that people see undeniably, increasingly, powerfully the likeness of the Father in the way that we live our lives. To live and love as the Father does, without restriction, encompassing all of life and all of people. To, to go the whole way in doing good as God does. To bless others, even our enemies, as God does. To forgive freely, to offer mercy freely, as God does. Jesus gives us an example of this, of how God does this in verse 45, how he blesses. Your Father who is in heaven makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If God blesses this way, then so should you. Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is. You know, if, if you have a relationship with God, then, then you should understand how well God has treated you when you didn't deserve it. If you truly understand that, that will begin to change you. You will not treat others as they deserve, but you will treat them as God has treated you. It has to transform you when you really get it. When you see that you were an enemy of God, but that God lavished love on you instead of retaliating, that Jesus was willing to, to die for you when you were his enemy to extend forgiveness and new life to you, then it should change everything. It should change you. And it will change you as the Holy Spirit works in you to help you become a person who increasingly and undeniably and powerfully shows the likeness of the Father in how you live and how you love. 
Paul says this about this in Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did God forgive us in Christ? He doesn't put us on probation. He doesn't bring up the, the past. He forgives us. Period. Stop. So how can we walk in the way of Jesus in these areas? To sum up, we are to treat others as extravagantly, as beautifully, as unconditionally as God has treated us. That begins with submitting to him, to surrendering to him, and allowing his Holy Spirit to to help us to grow so that we undeniably and powerfully and increasingly demonstrate the likeness of the Father and how we live and how we love. You know, we began by talking about this passage, this whole sermon being like a sledgehammer, and I know what C.S. Lewis meant when he says that. But also, in the midst of this, there's also, a, there's also an offer, an extension uh, of, of grace to us. Because God doesn't just demand this of us and leave us to our own devices. He gives us the very power that we need to live this out. He begins by treating us this way. And as we submit to him and receive his power, it changes how we live and love in increasingly and undeniably powerful ways more and more out the likeness of the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have treated us with love and mercy and grace and patience and truth. Lord, help us to to live and to love and treat others as you have first done for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We confess that we fall so far short. Be yet, Lord, your grace and your mercy are sufficient. And so we trust in your perfect life that has been lived and sacrificed for us. Help us, Lord, to rest in you, to submit to your spirit, and to become more like the Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of his mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion but to seek his presence and pray for his spirit. Hear now the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup in the same way after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this and drink this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul concludes by saying, For as often as you eat the bread and drink from the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to come to this table to participate in sacred honor of having communion with you and with one another. Father, we just take this time to look into our own hearts, to acknowledge our sins and lean upon you in the Holy Spirit and ask for your help to turn away and repent of those sins and cleanse our hearts. We come to this table, Lord, to acknowledge also the fact of the death of your son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection three days later, as we look forward to his coming again. We thank you for all of this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen. So a few words of instruction before we invite you to the table. First, of those of us who are at home online, we encourage you to participate with us today. Uh, so if you haven't already, we get some bread or crackers and some juice. Please participate with us this morning. This is an open table. That means that all who have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, all who desire to be his disciple, to follow him, all who stand in need of his grace and mercy, you're invited to come today. You don't have to be a member. This could be your first Sunday. You're welcomed at the table. And then secondly, this is a table of communion. We commune uh, by faith in Jesus through God the Father but we also commune with each other, the oneness that we have through our common faith in Jesus, our baptism, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are one in Jesus. So please hold on to the elements and then take them together after you're seated uh, as a sign and demonstration of that oneness. Come, the table is ready.
This is his body given for you. Take and eat. Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. Take and drink. Lord Jesus, once again, we thank you for the gift of your life through which we have forgiveness, grace, mercy, love. We have hope. We have life. We offer ourselves to you now, Jesus. Help us to walk in your way in all that we do and say, both on the inside and the outside. Amen. So before the benediction, real quickly, I uh, just want to remind you, you're invited to uh, the Chili and Cinnamon Roll fundraiser. Uh, you can go to Fellowship Hall and grab something and sit down and eat fellowship with each other, or you can get something to go and take it home and eat it when, when you're ready. So please stand now for the benediction. Uh, and just a reminder as well to our prayer team to take their place on the side. If you are here today and you'd like somebody to pray with you after the service, please join them there. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. <laughs>